Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. Friends, we can all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. This is Sunny Side of Sports. Right here on The Voice of America. Voice of America. Sporty World Cup greetings to all our Voice of America listeners. This is VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. Welcome to a special World Cup edition of the sunny side of sports. Switzerland defeated Cameroon Thursday 1-0 in the opening match for both teams at football's premier event in Qatar. The game's only goal came from Cameroon-born Briel Embolo in the 48th minute. After a swift Swiss attack led by Shakiri down the right side, a superb low cross left Embolo with a simple finish from close range. He chose not to celebrate his goal against the country of his birth, instead respectfully raising his arms and closing his eyes. Embolo said before the match that it would be a special occasion to play against Cameroon. The 25-year-old Monaco man moved with his family to France before settling in Switzerland when he was six years old. Thursday's Group G encounter played in front of about 39,000 fans at Al-Wakra in Qatar was a close, hard-fought encounter, and the official statistics back me up. Switzerland had 42% possession and Cameroon 44%. The Swiss had eight attempts on goal with three on target. The Cameroonians had seven attempts on goal with four on target. Final score from Qatar, Switzerland one, Cameroon nil. Meanwhile, poor and remote villages in Cameroon without electricity pooled funds to buy TV sets and access power so they could watch Thursday's World Cup match. Moki Edwin Kinzaka reports from the village of Oli in northern Cameroon. The sound of a generator resonates in Oli, a village near Cameroon's northern border with Nigeria that until this month had no power. The Village Development Committee hired 47-year-old electrical engineer Zimbia Morris to install the generator. But he says the goal wasn't to provide the village with electricity. It was to power a television so residents can watch the World Cup football games in Qatar. He says the generator will produce enough electricity for light, radio and TV sets to function. Maurice says if villagers overload the generator with too many appliances, fuel consumption will increase. He says he has so far installed six generators in six villages for people to watch the World Cup matches. Villager Usmala Tukur says they bought the equipment because they yearned to see Cameroon's national team, nicknamed the Indomitable Lions, compete at the World Cup. Tukur says every villager contributed 
the equivalent of at least one US dollar to buy the gear which included a 107 cm 42-inch TV set. Tuku says the generator, TV and a radio were bought from neighboring Nigeria. He says some poor villagers sold their fowls and decks to contribute so that no one misses watching the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar. Tuku adds that some villagers who wanted to contribute more money even sold their goods. But some Uli villagers complained to a reporter that one TV set will not be enough for the community of more than 300 people to watch. They also said they worried the 20 liters of petrol also bought from neighboring Nigeria may not power the generator the full months of football matches if villagers want to watch them all. But there is good news for these football fans in remote Cameroon. 34-year-old veterinary technician Florence Wanja recently returned to the village from Yaoundé with a second TV set for the community. She also promised to supply more fuel should the generator need it. Wanja says she wants to join her parents, friends, village notables and her entire community in cheering Cameroon's national football team. She says they'll cheer up until the moment the indomitable Lions win the World Cup. If Cameroon does not win, says Wanja, another African team should lift the trophy for the first time. No African team has ever reached a World Cup semi-final. Cameroon's indomitable Lions in 1990 became the first African team to qualify for the quarterfinals of the World Cup. They were joined more than a decade later by Ghana and Senegal. Olive Village is one of many in remote Cameroon that is getting power for the first time thanks to the World Cup. Several local councils say they installed extension cables to scores of villages and Cameroon's government has instructed the state power company Energy of Cameroon to make sure power cuts are avoided during the matches. Meanwhile, in Uli, youths blast Cameroon's team song, Go Lions and Lift the Trophy, as they wait to watch the games in their village for the first time. There are five African teams competing at the Qatar World Cup, Cameroon, Ghana, Morocco, Senegal and Tunisia. Moki, Edwin Kinzuka, for VOA News, Uli, Northern Cameroon. It is the biggest sports event of the year. The 2022 World Cup in Qatar. Join VOA to celebrate Africa's king's sport. In-depth coverage, pre- and post-game analysis, breakout stars, Cinderella teams, coaches, players, and let's not forget the fans from the four corners of the continent and from the city of Doha. We'll be there throughout the competition. Don't miss the fun with Team VOA Africa. Let's experience the magic of football together. The magic of World Cup football was experienced Wednesday on our Straight Talk Africa program. 
I was delighted to appear as a guest on Straight Talk. Here's our Straight Talk Africa host, Haiti Adams. Ghana, Senegal, Cameroon, Morocco and Tunisia are carrying the hopes of an entire football-loving continent. And to join me now to discuss Africa's World Cup hopes, heartbreak and history are Sonny Young. He's the host of various popular sports show, The Sunny Side of Sports. I appreciate that South African shirt, even <laughs> though Bafana Bafana has broken my heart one too many times. And then, of course, VOA's Africa Division Program Manager, Mamoya Hamza, and also joining us via Skype is Memory Malisawa. She's a sports analyst and she comes to us from Lusaka in Zambia. Memory, Hamza and Sunny, welcome to Straight Talk Africa. Let me just put a little disclaimer in there. Thank Soccer you. is not my forte, but I'm going to pretend <laughs> what they say, fake it until you make it, I'll pretend. But I do love watching um, the World Cup. But this is exciting. I mean, you have to be living under a rock to not know what is going on here. And Sunny, I'm going to start out with you. This is a World Cup of many controversies, but but also many firsts. And for the first time, local coaches are leading the African teams. What's the significance of that? I think it's a great uh, symbol of the development of African football that they have entrusted uh, their teams to local coaches. There's always been sort of a tug of war. Uh, should, should European coaches be in charge of African teams? Do they have better experience? Do they have better tactics? But we have Aliou Cisse in charge of Senegal, Otto Addo in charge of Ghana. They both played at previous World Cups. And I think it's a, it's a really good sign uh, that African football uh, continues to rise. Um, Hamza, what's, what's your take on this? And give us some of the highlights you've seen so far. Uh, first of all, I have to say, Sari comes in with a South African jersey yes. 12 years too late. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Please don't make me laugh my ugly South African laugh here. But <laughs> I appreciate it, Sonny. But, you know, I, I mean, uh, the, the, uh, the significance of African coaches, I think, uh, exemplary is Ali Sisse, who is heading a Senegalese team, a proven football player. He played in several African cl- um, uh, European clubs, uh, and he has been leading uh, the Senegalese team won the Africa Cup of Nations. So this, this, is, this is, as Sonny says, it's, uh, you know, coming full circle that now, you know, you know African teams can entrust uh, African uh, coaches to lead their team, and they're doing well. I mean, uh, you just asked about the highlights, and Sonny will, uh, will uh, chip in right now. I think the highlights so far, uh, for me, uh, Saudi Arabia beating Argentina, that was one, it could go into being one of the biggest uh, upset of uh, World Cup uh, history, and the and the goal by Al Dawasir, the second goal, just the just the strike itself, spectacular. And mind you, was spectacular. Yeah. And mind you, he was surrounded by three Argentinian players. And my other highlights is Memo Ochoa, the goal the goalie for Mexico, with that save which actually gave uh, Mexico a point in that game. I mean, that was a spectacular show. Ole, ole, as they say in Mexico. Yeah, and uh, I will point out, uh, quick highlights. Uh, We have uh, three Arab-speaking teams that have already picked up points in Qatar. Saudi Arabia, Tunisia, and Morocco, which to me maybe 
is a sign that they're comfortable playing in the Middle East uh, in an Arab-speaking country. Uh, memory, what are the highlights for you? And could you outline for us some of the, the weaknesses and some of the strengths that some of these African teams are coming into this tournament with? Okay, I'll hit it definitely. When you look at, um, you know, the, 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 the current World Cup, or just in Qatar, uh, we've seen so far uh, three games from the African countries. And for me, the major highlight, um, of course, not being an African team, but hey, it's, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia beating Argentina by two goals, uh, uh, you know, to one. For me, it's a big thing because we're talking of Hevrena, who's the coach of Saudi Arabia. That man made Zambia win, uh, you know, the Africa Cup in 2012. So he is part of Zambia. He's actually Zambian. He's one of us. So for us in Zambia, his social media went awash after that win. It's like Zambia was being represented by Hevrena. So for me, that was the major highlight. But then when you talk of uh, the weaknesses of um, the, the African teams and Maybe I'll say this in general because I won't say much about the current World Cup because it has just started. We've just seen three games so far. Um, the first one, uh, you know, for me was um, the, the one I felt an African team would have done better, really, was, um, uh, you know, Netherlands up against Senegal. I think that Senegalese in that game, they really had it, you know, um, pretty well. And I, they really performed very well despite losing by, uh, you know, two goals to nil. But then what I feel African teams are lacking uh, at such competitions in most cases are issues of, you know, endurance. Uh, you know, sometimes they get their tactics wrong. And also when you look at, um, you know, the concentration levels, uh, I feel sometimes they don't get it right there. And in most cases, especially when they concede. So I really feel concentration levels sometimes tactics here and there. And also endurance are for me really... Those are some of the challenges that, you know, African teams first, especially at such high-level competitions. Uh, Hamza, there are only five teams representing Africa. Is that a healthy number for a continent of 54 countries? No, 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 it's not. But uh, it's, it has gotten better. Uh, in 1974, uh, we only had Zaire in the World Cup. And they lost, I think, by nine goals or something like that. So the number has gone up. And I think in the coming years, the, the number of, uh, uh, of teams in the World Cup itself will go up to something like 48. Uh, Sunny will correct me if I'm wrong. And the African teams will also uh, will have more t uh, African teams up to 19. So it's, it's growing up. Um, you know, but uh, as it stands right now, five is not enough. We should have more teams uh, for a continent that has 54 countries. Uh, Sunny, will that increase our chances of making Payless prediction come true? That, I, I think uh, it, it has to increase the uh, chances. And uh, I have to repeat, uh, three teams, Ghana, Senegal, and Cameroon, all participating in Qatar. They are the only African teams to reach the quarterfinals. So it would be great to see one of them, or even maybe uh, Morocco or Tunisia, get past that quarterfinal stage at a World Cup, maybe to the semifinals or even the final. Uh, Memory, what does it take um, to make a, a team successful in a World Cup? Um, really, well, I think um, it, it all starts with preparation, Heidi. When you look at the way the team prepares, I think um, that is very important. Uh, you know, preparation is everything. And obviously, above all, we are looking at skill here. But then when you talk about what it takes, I think um, it has got a lot to do with uh, game management. 
um, uh, like I mentioned earlier, you know, uh, endurance levels. And um, also, you know, when you look at game management, I think, uh, you know, we, we need to agree that uh, sometimes uh, teams, they, they, they do not manage their game pretty well, which end up costing them, for example. Um, you might, uh, you know, concede early, and uh, the way you come back or how you handle that will really determine how far you can go. Uh, one good example I can give is uh, in, the, in the Senegal game, Senegal against Netherlands. I think just after they conceded, you could see that uh, they, they, they were a little bit frustrated and they, they went on to, to, to you know, to, to, to acquire like a two, two or three, uh, you know, cards, which in my view, I feel that is dangerous because in an event where you lose um, key players, that will affect you negatively. So I feel when you have it right in terms of uh, game management, coupled with the skill, obviously the players that were caught, I think um, uh, those are some of the key things that really will help the team uh, to perform pretty well at the World Cup. Preparation has been a very difficult uh, you know, thing, especially when you look at the African teams. You find that um, some of the African teams, you know, they don't even have proper infrastructure you know, in terms of preparations, even for Africa Cup itself, there are some countries that can't even host a qualifier match because they don't have, you know, a, a proper infrastructure. Mm. So I feel uh, uh, preparation is key and also, you know, how you manage game and tactics also. I don't know why most of the time mm. they get it wrong. But when you look at teams like France, we saw France, you know, you know, uh, going down in, I think, first few minutes. Uh, Australia was leading, but look at how they came into the game. And look at how, you know, all the players were just all together, who come and collected. And it's such mental strength that we talk about that really can see the team go all the way. That's Memory Malisawa, the media officer of Zambia's national women's football team, nicknamed the Copper Queens. The Copper Queens have qualified for next year's FIFA Women's World Cup, which will be jointly hosted by Australia and New Zealand. And my memory tells me that memory joined me on our Straight Talk Africa program. Sporty greetings. This is Memory Malisawa, Media Officer of Copa Queens of Zambia. You are listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. It is the biggest sports event of the year. The 2022 World Cup in Qatar. Join VOA to celebrate Africa's king's sport. In-depth coverage, pre- and post-game analysis, breakout stars, Cinderella teams, coaches, players, and let's not forget the fans from the four corners of the continent and from the city of Doha. We'll be there throughout the competition. Don't miss the fun with Team VOA Africa. Let's experience the magic of football together. In Wednesday's World Cup results from Qatar, Morocco and Croatia played to a scoreless draw. Japan upset Germany 2-1. Spain spanked Costa Rica 7-0. That's the most lopsided result we've had so far from Qatar. And Belgium edged Canada 1-0. Now, in terms of that Japanese upset of the Germans, I'll put it second biggest upset at Qatar 2022. 
behind Saudi Arabia defeating Argentina by that same 2-1 scoreline. As the scores come in from Qatar, the sunny side of sports takes a more somber note. Voice of America! The Voice of America reports on the families of some of the thousands of migrant workers who died building World Cup-related facilities over the past decade in Qatar. They say they will never recover. VOA's Heather Murdoch has more from Danusha, Nepal. Not long after Qatar was awarded the 2022 World Cup back in 2010, rights groups and the media began reporting abuses against the rapidly growing population of migrant workers, mostly from South Asia and Africa. In the Danusha district of Nepal, young men flocked to Qatar, many borrowing large sums to get there for the chance to make some money and build a future. Families left behind say there were no other good options. Before her husband, Muneshwar, went to Qatar, Aslani Daviyadav says he was paid only four kilograms of rice a day for his work in Nepal. He died in Qatar in 2018. We had small children at that time. So he decided to go for foreign employment to earn money for the food and their schooling. Muneshwar worked in construction, often carrying heavy loads to the top of skyscrapers under construction. Despite this danger, he died at night, and his family was told it was of heart failure. His body was brought 15 days after the death. After that, we performed his last rites and rituals at our home. Amnesty International says most of the death certificates issued to the families of the deceased migrant workers list some kind of heart failure or natural causes of death. Doctors say healthy young men do not die naturally. But this ruling means employers are not legally or financially responsible for the death. And Yadav, like other families left behind, now struggles to survive. There is no source of income after my husband's death. I sold my land. I am running my home from the money from the land sale. When that money is gone, Yadav says her children will have to work because she doesn't make enough money selling milk from her one buffalo to support the family. A 2021 Guardian newspaper investigation revealed that more than 6,500 migrant workers have died in Qatar since the World Cup was awarded. Muslims here in the Danusha region of Nepal bury their dead in graveyards like this one, with layers of bodies and no markers. Hindus cremate their dead. Both communities suffer widespread abject poverty, and more than half the families in Nepal rely on relatives who work overseas for financial support. 26-year-old Jamshed Safi died about two months ago while working in Qatar. After delivering Jamshed's body home at his own expense, his brother, Sakhil Safi, is preparing to go back to work in Qatar. In the village, I don't know what work I can do because it's very hard to save money. Even if I work for 10 days, it's not enough for my family's needs and to save money. Qatar has become a working destination of choice for many Nepalese in the past decade. It was named 2022 World Cup host 12 years ago, and since then, the small Gulf country has invested more than $200 billion on stadiums and related infrastructure. 
Thousands of migrants from all over South Asia and Africa have died in the build-up to the Games. And Amnesty International says most of the death certificates list the cause of death as unrelated to work. As a result, families back home cannot claim compensation. We told them that Jamsed died while he was on duty. Why was it written on the report that he died in his room? The fact was, he died while he was on duty. Sakil Safi, the brother, says he went to Qatari authorities to object to the documentation. But he was told an official investigation would take two to three months and they would have to hold his brother's body for that time. He then went to his brother's employer's office. The person got so angry that he stood up and told me to go talk to the head person. He kept telling me to go and talk with the head person. The boss in question was always busy and always angry, Sakil Safi says, so he eventually gave up. Qatar has made many labor reforms in the past six years, including salary minimums and a dedicated board to handle complaints. But workers say the Safi story is still not unusual. Qatari World Cup officials declined interview requests for this report. Heather Murdoch, VOA News, Danusha, Nepal. A popular tech concept being spread on the Internet and in mass media is something called the metaverse. While many people are talking about it, not many of us really know what it is. I'm Rick Pantaleo. Matthew Canterman of Ball Metaverse Research Partners joins me on the science edition of Press Conference USA to talk about what many in the tech industry are calling the next phase of the Internet's evolution. Listen this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. Thanks, Rick. And in terms of the Internet's current evolution, follow the sunny side of sports on Facebook and Twitter. My Facebook address is facebook.com forward slash VOA Sunny. And my Twitter handle is at VOA Sunny Sports. More World Cup news. Hundreds of thousands of visitors are in Qatar for the 2022 World Cup. And local businesses are eager to receive them. VOA Celia Mendoza reports from Doha, Qatar. When the sun goes down, the streets of the Sugwakif, local market in Doha, Qatar, are transformed, welcoming locals and tourists. The market is full of colorful merchandise, unique smells, and traditional food. Sukwagaf. It means standing market, Sukwagaf. So it's like a traditional market. So most of the tourists and visitors to visit here, a lot of uh, nice restaurants and uh, traditional shops, something like that, spice market and the bird market are very popular. For visitors and locals, it is a chance to see an older Qatar, full of rustic businesses with handmade signs that contrast with the large buildings and shopping centers of the city. It is quite an experience, beautiful, especially because of the culture. Jamal Abdullah, who has a souvenir store and sells traditional items from the Middle East, hopes the 2022 World Cup will bring more clients. Mainly the Air Force Base and also a lot of transit passengers. Mm -hmm. The airport is quite a big airport and a lot of flights. So People do the Emirate government expects more than one million people to travel to the country during the 2022 World Cup, which kicks off on November 20. 
Qatar has a population of about 2.7 million. I think it is something that is going to help them to change their ideas a bit about different cultures, because people are coming from many countries. Lucia Masurati and Martin Curen are an Argentinian couple living in Doha. They say the event will unite people from around the world through their common passion for soccer. I think they are going to receive them very positively. There are people from all countries supporting Argentina. One of the largest communities that supports Argentina is from India, Pakistan, Bangladesh. I never would have imagined. Locals and business owners expect the 2022 World Cup to be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Qatar, which is traditionally very conservative, also announced some easing on some traditional Islamic restrictions like alcohol consumption and public noise in the hopes of drawing tourists. But not everything is changing. The traditional Islamic restriction on eating pork will remain in place. Celia Mendoza, VOA News, Doha, Qatar. It is the biggest sports event of the year. The 2022 World Cup in Qatar. Join VOA to celebrate Africa's king's sport. In-depth coverage, pre- and post-game analysis, breakout stars, Cinderella teams, coaches, players, and let's not forget the fans from the four corners of the continent and from the city of Doha. We'll be there throughout the competition. Don't miss the fun with Team VOA Africa. Let's experience the magic of football together. And that wraps up a special World Cup edition of the show. Thank you for tuning in. I'm VOA's Sonny Young in Washington, and that's the sunny side of sports. I get it.